time, you've, uh, we know that Satan targets young people who are transitioning from where these young people are to where they're going. Lord, they're easy prey. So I pray that they'd hear the words that I'm preaching tonight. I pray that everybody would hear the words. Uh, although not all of us are graduating, all of us can benefit from the preaching of the word of God. And so I pray that you'd speak to us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for reading with me. Um, uh, just a simple question. How many of you uh, like to play video games? Okay, God bless you, because I don't like to play video games. I've never been much of a video game player, uh, but I, and you're going to think that they're the same thing, but they're not the same thing. I like to play arcade games. How many of you are with me there? Okay, arcade games. And so you go in, and you know the joystick, and, and, and uh, there was a place that was just as down the street from where I went to, uh, or where I grew up, and it was called the Incredible Pizza Company. Have any, have any of you ever heard of that? There's a couple in Oklahoma, so you guys know about it. The Incredible Pizza Company opened up, and simply what it is, is it's this giant pizza restaurant, and on the back, uh, say amen, thank you, and g- great pizza, by the way, not, not this, uh, you know, $5, I'm talking about gourmet, nice pizza, and you can go in, and you can get all sorts of different toppings on your pizza, and you can even get an apple pizza, you can get like a s'mores pizza, and you can get all sorts of great pizzas, but anyways, that's not part of the illustration, forget that, you're hungry now, uh, but on the back half of this incredible pizza company was um, this arcade, and in it was hundreds of games, they had indoor uh, uh, go-karts, and they had indoor, um, they had indoor bumper cars, and they had putt-putt golf, but what really people went there for was the games, they had all sorts of different arcade games that you could play, old style, new style, I mean, uh, uh, they had the car games where you get in the car and you race your friends. You know what I'm talking about? How many of you have been to Lucky Strike over in Bellevue? And so it's a lot like that, but a little bit bigger. And there was one game that was there, and I, I no doubt all of you know exactly what game I'm talking about because I'm pretty sure it's just universal across the globe in every single arcade in the world, and it's a little game by the name of Jurassic Park. Anybody? Anybody ever play? Are you serious? What? Are you kidding me? Do you live under a rock? I mean, okay, so in case you, okay, let me just tell you about the game. It's about Jurassic Park, okay? You go in, and it's almost like a photo booth where you put the curtains up on the side, and you play, and you just go around, and you shoot dinosaurs, and it's just awesome. It's a lot of fun, and so um, me and my friend Reed, good friend of mine growing up, we used to play, uh, and we'd go uh, all summer long, and that's exactly what we would do is we'd go, and we'd play this game, Jurassic Park, and we would play it over and over and over again, blew all of our money during the summer. I don't know what my parents were thinking or his parents were thinking, but we'd go with a pocket full of cash and leave with absolutely nothing, and most of the time we would spend playing this game. And here's how it started. Uh, We were playing a multitude of different games, but we played that game in particular, and we got really far. Like, so far where our name was number 10 at the bottom of the list, you know what I'm talking about, where the top 10 scores come up. And so we kind of got into our minds that we could actually maybe get our name on the top of the list, maybe even number one. And so that was our summer endeavor. Every single day, not every single day, but every single day that we could, we would go there with a pocket full of cash, get the tokens, we'd sit down and we'd go at it and we'd play this game over and over and over again. And every time that we would play, we'd get a little bit higher, a little bit higher, But the reason that I share that illustration is because if you've played any arcade game, really, it kind of has the same concept, but particularly that game, you get either to the end of your life, your lives that they give you, or you get to the end of time, and whenever whenever it expires, a little screen will pop up, a little word, and it'll say, continue. Do you know what I'm talking about? Continue, and then adds a little bit of pressure. Continue, 10, 9, 8, and you're just digging through your pockets trying to get your uh, tokens. And your, I mean, you, you, how many of you know, raise your hand, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Continue, would you like to continue? Would you like to waste more of your money on our game? And you better believe that we did. 
And uh, I, I'm happy to report that, uh, I'm pretty sure Incredible Pizza Company closed down, but that machine, if you found that machine, as far as I know, on the very top, it says Lamar Ard, number one. I got the top score. I thought I'd get like an applause or something like that. I put it on my resume. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, go ahead and applaud for me because it took a lot of effort. But uh, let me ask a simple question just with that in mind. What, what would cause somebody to continue in, in that game? What would cause somebody uh, that's you know, 12 or 13 years old to spend more money and to continue playing the same game over and over again when you get to the end of time? And very simply, I'm not gonna go in over anybody's head tonight. The reason that you would continue is because you think that you can. Did you hear me? The reason that you would continue in something like that is because you're fully confident that you're able to. You're fully confident that you can continue. Continuing is an evidence of belief. Did you hear me, graduates? Continuing is an evidence of belief. As Jesus stares in the face of the Jews in the temple that day, his message was simply this. I want you to beware of unbelief. I want you to beware of unbelief. And what was their response in verse number 30? He spake these words, as he spake these words, I had you read it with me, many believed on him. Many believed on him. I don't know about you, I've not been preaching very long, but I'd say that that's a good message. I'd say that that's a good invitation. Many believed on him. In other words, uh, Jesus preaches salvation and they respond and many come to Christ. That's a hallelujah. I mean, again, I would think that that's a successful message. If you preach and people are getting saved, praise the Lord for that. But did you notice the transition that took place from verse number 30 to verse number 31? Read it with me. It says, then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him. Pause for just a second. Again, Jesus preaches this message. Many get saved. And what is Jesus' response to those who come forth for salvation? All right, Jewish converts. You got through point number one of message, the message tonight. But here's point number two. Did you notice that Jesus did not parade them on the streets? Did you notice that Jesus didn't have every one of them go and fill out a visit, or excuse me, a communication card or a decision card and say, I accepted Christ on this day? Uh, Jesus did not applaud them for believing. Did you notice that? Why? Why didn't Jesus applaud them for believing? James 2 and verse number 19 says, Thou believest that there is one God, thou dost well. The devils also believe and tremble. So you believe in Jesus Christ. Let me give you a golf clap there. So do the devils. So do the demons. They believe in Christ. Jesus turns to the face of his Jewish converts and he says again, if ye continue in my word, then, important word, conditional, if ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples Indeed, In other words, he's telling them that if they really believed, get this, that their direction should be redirected, okay? Their direction should be directed. Let me pause for just a moment and touch on something. It has really nothing to do with the message, but I could not, not cover this because it appears in the text. There's this, there's this crippling uh, false theology that has made its way into our doctrine of soteriology. That is the doctrine of salvation, and here it is, that repentance is not a part of salvation, 
Did you hear me? Repentance is not a part of salvation. And we might not necessarily preach that repentance is not, about, uh, not a part of salvation, but we definitely preach everything but repentance being a part of salvation. Do you understand that repentance is required for salvation and redemption to take place? Do you understand that? You, cannot just accept, uh, you can't just accept Jesus Christ and acknowledge that you believe in him and repentance, not take, and, and repentance not take place. Repentance is simply this. You're going this direction and it's a turning away and going a different direction. Do you understand? Repentance is a part of salvation. And so I need you to understand that before we continue because the world is teaching this thing called easy believism. And by the way, it's not just the world. Now it's creeping into the Baptist churches, independent Baptist churches. One, two, three, pray after me. If you just acknowledge Jesus Christ uh, and you believe that he's the son of God, you'll be saved. That's contrary to the teachings of the word of God. Because repentance must take place. There must be an acknowledgement of your sin and you have to turn away and trust in Jesus Christ who did for you what you could not do for yourself and depend on him. Have him redirect you. Do you understand? When we accept Christ, he redirected our trajectory towards that of someone that is no longer destined for destruction. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 17, we know it. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a... New creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And can I tell you something this evening? If you're, if you're a recipient of grace, if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you ought not be the same. You ought not be the same. It should change you. Grace is going to do that. You're going to look at the grace that was bestowed freely on, on the cross of Calvary, and that's going to instigate a change. It's going to instigate a disgust for your sin and a turning away and a redirection towards the things of God. That's what Jesus is telling these new Jewish converts. If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. Question, why did Jesus feel the need to be so thorough with these new Jewish converts? Why not just rejoice? Why not just get excited that many came to Christ? The reason that he was doing it, and I already just touched on it for just a moment, but he was doing some preventative maintenance upon a false theology that was gonna creep its way into the New Testament church. And here's the false teaching. I can believe in Jesus, but nothing in my life has to change. You'll never find anything more contrary to the teaching of the word of God than that statement right there. I can accept Jesus, I can acknowledge Jesus, but nothing in my life has to change. Heresy. Matthew chapter 7 and verse number 16 says, Ye shall know them by their, read it, fruits. Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their, read it with me, fruits ye shall know them. In other words, show me the fruit and I'll show you the root. Did you hear me? Show me the fruit, and I'll show you the root. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not very smart. I'm not, I'm not a scientist or anything of that nature, but I can tell you right now, if I go over to an apple tree and I pick an apple, I can determine that that is an apple tree based off of the fruit that it produces. Whew, that's deep theology right there. But do we understand? An apple tree is gonna produce apples. An orange tree is gonna produce oranges. A grapevine is gonna produce grapes. We understand that your fruit is based upon your root. If you're rooted and grounded in the word of God and you've accepted Jesus Christ, if it's rooted in you, you ought to bear fruit. Lamar, are you saying that someone who does not bear fruit is not a believer? That's between them and God. 
I would not be so bold as to look at someone's life that accepts Jesus Christ and departs and never uh, uh, bears fruit. I'm not gonna say that they're not saved or not, but I can tell you just based off of my understanding of the word of God that they probably aren't. Am I allowed to say that? Again, as Jesus looks in the faces of those who've just made their profession, he makes this statement, and I keep reading it, but I want you to get it. If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. Now, I know most of you very well. I've, I've been here for about five years, and I know most of you. Some of you are new, and some of you have been here long before I ever came. But I can tell you this. If you've been coming to this church for any length of time, the moment that you walked into the doors of Wooden Valley Baptist Church, from that moment until now, you've heard nothing but truth. Someone ought to say amen that's standing in the congregation. If you come into Wooden Valley Baptist Church, you're going to get truth. You're going to get so much truth. Matter of fact, that people don't like our church because we preach so much truth, and they go somewhere else that's not going to tell them truth. And so I understand this about you. You have Pastor Farinella as a pastor. You have Brother Dave Mayfield as a youth pastor. You've had Sunday school teachers. You've got all sorts of people in here, and they've done nothing but integrate truth into your life. Truth, truth. I know that about you. I might not know you that well, but I do know one thing. If you've been coming to this church for any length of time, that's what you've gotten is truth. So understanding that, and understanding that I know exactly what you've heard from this pulpit, from the annex, and from all over the campus, I do know this. You have been equipped with the word of God. You have been equipped with truth. So my admonishment to you this evening, we're going to build off of this, is simply this. Continue. Continue. Continue in what? I'm glad you asked. There's a couple of things that I want us to notice uh, again, we're going to depart from this text, but I want us to notice from the word of God the few things that I want you to continue. And if you're taking notes, I'd encourage you to take notes because like I said, there's going to come a day, man, I tell you, there's going to come a day when you, you wish you would have listened to the preaching of the word of God. Number one, I want you to write this down. Continue in the word of God. Continue in the word of God. If you can get this one nailed down, the others will come very naturally to you. Continue in the word of God. Understand that the moment you step foot on campus of your universities, your colleges, and your schools, and your jobs, the greatest spiritual battle will ensue that you've ever had to deal with. And I'm not just talking to those who are going to secular universities either. The greatest spiritual battle is right upon you. It's on the horizon. You're stepping out from adolescence to adulthood, and I can tell you right now that the world does not regard this book of high authority. Matter of fact, those of you who are going to secular university, I'll tell you right now, the idea that you would believe in the word of God and have a relationship with him and develop a relationship with him is worthy of ridicule and not just from your fellow students, not just from your fellow coworkers, but from professors, from bosses. The idea that you would have a relationship with, with God and the idea that you would get in his word They'll make fun of you day in and day out. They will ridicule you day in and day out. I want you to understand just what it is you're getting to I hope you're encouraged. You're about to go on the battlefield. You understand? You're about to go on the battlefield. You're about to face, hey, listen, I understand that some of you have a rough past, and I understand that you've been through a lot in high school. Nothing in comparison to what you're about to face now. Continue in the word of God. Joshua 1.8 says, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night. Why? That thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way, next word, prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. 
This is not a trick question. How many of you want to prosper in your field? How many of you want to prosper in this next chapter of life, whether it's college or whether it's your career? Can I tell you something? Prosperity does not happen apart from the word of God. Now let me qualify that. You might leave here and you might neglect the word of God and make a lot of money. You might leave here and and neglect the word of God and you might have all of your wildest dreams come true, but it depends on your metric of prosperity. Because I can tell you right now, the path that God has chosen for your life, if you depart from the word of God, you can kiss prosperity goodbye. Prosperity does not happen apart from the word of God. Practical application. Here we go. Take, listen, take time, write it down. (laughs) Take time, I'm, I'm gonna help you right here. Take time on a monthly basis to call your pastor and tell him how you're doing spiritually. Not profound, very simple. Some of you will listen, some of you won't. And I can tell you right now, here's your attitude. If you embark to do this, you'll do one of two things. A, you will try to be busy every time pastor calls you. Or B, he will motivate you and it will motivate you to develop a personal walk with God and being faithful to his word. Simple application. Maybe you don't call pastor. Maybe you call your youth pastor. Maybe you call your youth pastor's wife. Maybe you call your mom if they're in church. Maybe you call your dad. Find someone to keep you accountable in the word of God. Continue in the word of God. Number two, continue in the house of God. Continue in the house of God. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 23 says, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised, and let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Listen to this statement right here. I want want your eye contact. As you embark on this new chapter of life, you will never have less time to devote to the house of God, but at the same time, you'll never need the house of God more than you will in this next season of life. Do you hear me? You think you were busy before, you have no idea what busy is. I don't care what AP classes you took. I don't care what extracurricular activities you were involved in. It does not compare to the, 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 embark that you're about, or the endeavor you're about to embark in. You're gonna be 10 times busier than you've ever been in your life. Homework, projects, job requirements, internships. There's gonna be a million things demanding your attention and you're never gonna have any less time to vote to the word of God. But there's a reason I said it that way because now in this season of your life, you're never gonna need a place like this more. You're never gonna pre- need the preaching of the word of God more than you're gonna need it in this next season of life. How am I supposed to do that, Lamar? You said, I have less time, but I'm gonna need it more. Practical application, here we go. Prioritize your ministry, your involvement in the house of God more than your schoolwork, your career. Did you hear me? Prioritize or plan everything else around being involved in the house of God. Everything else, that is 100% backwards from whatever you've learned outside of this church, but I can tell you right now, if you heed that advice, you will never regret it. 
Because the tendency is gonna be because of how busy you are and because of how much homework and all those different things that we just mentioned is for you to clear off just a small little spot and say, okay, I can fit in going to church on this day. And can I tell you something? What you ought to do is, those of you who are going to college, you ought to clear your schedule and say, I'm gonna be in church on this day because God's house is open. I'm gonna be in church on this day. I'm gonna be in church on this day and take everything else and fill in the blanks, not the other way around. You understand why? Because you need the preaching of the word of God. You need the fellowship of the brethren. You need to come into the house of prayer and be able to bring your, your, your requests to God. You need this place more now more than ever. Continue in the word of God and continue in the house of God. Number three, continue in the work of God. Continue in the work of God. I'm talking about preaching the gospel. And you say, okay, Lamar, that's for those who are going to Heartland and West Coast and PCC, but I'm actually gonna be a doctor or a lawyer. Did you know that none of us are above the call to be ambassadors for Christ? Every single one of us have that responsibility and that weight upon our shoulders to bear the burden of the gospel of Jesus Christ and to tell the world. We are to be a light in a dark world. Luke chapter 11 and verse number 33, no man... When he hath lighted a candle, putteth it in a secret place, neither under a bushel, but on a candlestick, that they which come in may see the light. Second Corinthians 5, verse 18, it says, And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given unto us the ministry of reconciliation. Pause for just a second. That's an admonishment for every single person that names the name of Christ, not just those who want to be in full-time Christian service. You mean I'm supposed to be a minister? Yes. You mean I'm supposed to be a missionary? Yes. You were given the ministry of reconciliation, verse 19, to wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespass, uh, trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, look at this, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God did beseech you by us, as if God did beseech you by us, as if God came down himself, pointed his finger in the, in the face of Rachel Boyer and Mercy and Parker and said, you're given the ministry of reconciliation. It's your job. We know Matthew 28, verse number 13. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Then he asks a series of rhetorical questions. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they pray without, uh, hear without a preacher? And, uh, and how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. The call to preach the gospel is a call that we all must obey, regardless of your vocation. Practical application. The roommates, friends, coworkers, and fellow students that God is about to bring into your lives were placed there intentionally by God so that you, here it is, could be his candlestick. You understand that God has never done anything accidental. It's always been on purpose. And the people that you're about to encounter, whether it's a coworker or a fellow student or a professor or a roommate or a boss, God intentionally placed them in your life so that you could be their candlestick, so that you could shine the light of the transforming gospel of Jesus Christ. So therefore, shine brightly. Shine brightly. Continue in the word of God. Continue in the house of God. Continue in the work of God. Lastly, number four. Continue in the way of God. 
in the way of God. As you embark on this new chapter of life, there will be many an opportunity that will present itself to you in the form of careers, internships, friends, hopefully for some of you husbands and wives, we're still praying about that. There's gonna be every single relationship and every single opportunity at your door in this next season of life. Has it occurred to you yet that every decision going forward is going to be solely your decision? A lot of responsibility. And everybody else in the world, they look at that and they say, good for me. I get to champion my own life. I get to make my own decisions. Do you realize the weight that now rests on your shoulders and the fact that you are the sole decision maker from your life going forward? Mom and dad are not there anymore. Mom and dad are not calling the shots anymore. Uh, and I understand you're gonna be under authority your entire life. You're gonna be under the authority of a professor or a boss or, or someone of that nature. But do you understand that now you are responsible for your own decisions going forward and every decision you will own? Proverbs chapter three, verse number five. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. And lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy, what's that next word? We misquote that scripture every single time. Because it does not say path, it says paths, plural. And kind of the indication that we like to think the text is talking about is that there's this giant path and it's, and it's our life. And, and if we follow after the things of God, he will give us direction. And although there is an ounce of truth to that, it says paths. And you know what it's insinuating? That there's not a decision too great or too small that you cannot seek the face of God and get guidance for. He will direct thy paths. What paths? Your occupation your spouse, your friends, the school you're going to attend, every single decision, doesn't matter how great or how small, you can come before God and ask for discernment, you can ask for guidance, and if you follow him, he will direct your path. As opportunities and decisions come, before you ever extend your hand, you must first bend your knee. When I think of this, following after the ways of God, I think of Paul. And we know Paul to be this great Christian who accomplished many things for the cause of Christ. But you know where Paul got his redirection? You know where Paul got uh, his orders? Damascus Road. And Paul is heading in a direction. He's going this way. He's going the way that he wants to go. And by the way, Paul was a very religious man. You do know that about Paul. He was a very religious Jew. He was a devout Jew. And we understand that Paul, he knew the word of God and he knew all of those things. But one thing he did not have is he did not have the son of God. He did not have Jesus. And he encountered Jesus on Damascus Road. And what happens? He goes blind. God instructs him. He says, who are you? He says, I am the Lord. How, uh, you're Paul. How long are you going to kick against the pricks? And what is his response? It is a response that changed his life. And I believe it's a response that he said from every day going forward. And here it is. Lord, what will thou have me to do? Lord, what will thou have me to do? And you know what the Lord says? He says, I want you to go into this city. And the city's in the opposite direction of where he's headed. And he redirected himself, went in the direction that God commanded him and received more instructions to follow after the things of God. Lord, what will thou have me to do? Practical application. Not that he needs it, but give God permission to spoil your plans if you ever step out of the path that he has chosen for you. Again, not that he needs it, but give him specific plans and your prayer ought to be this. 
Lord, if I ever depart from the word of God, if I ever go my own direction, if I ever don't seek your face about a decision, spoil my plans. Lord, what will thou have me to do? Before every decision you face, <clears throat> before every decision you're faced with, ask yourself that same question. Lord, what will thou have me to do? Continue in the word of God. Continue in the house of God. Continue in the work of God. And continue in the way of God. And in closing, this is a very peculiar way to close a message, but I'd like to go somewhere with this. Pastor's not here, is he? I think he's still at home. Okay. I was going to have pastor stand up. Do you understand, and I, I know that some of you have not been going here for that long. Some of you have been going here since, I mean, your parents have been going here before you were born. Do you understand just how much your pastor has made you a matter of prayer? I'm talking like your whole life. He's prayed for you by name probably this week. Spent many an hour studying to prepare to preach the word of God, to preach the say of the Lord, to give you truth, to transition truth. He's invested in you. Brother Dave, will you stand? Brother Dave Mayfield. Miss Connie, go ahead and stand with him. Your youth pastor. I could say all the same things and then some about your youth pastor. I know specifically some of you he's cried over. Some, some of you, remain standing. You're not off the hook. If I ask you to stand, remain standing. He's invested in you. He's prepared lessons for you. Uh, I was a part of the, the message this morning. He's been going through a series. By the way, parents, take a break sometime uh, from Sunday school and go over and hear what's being taught because guess what? You're not gonna believe it, but it's the same thing you hear and hear. He's preaching right now a series on having the right friends and the wrong friends and, and who's in your star, and it's awesome. Every single one of you need to hear it. But he's invested in you, and he's prayed for you, and he's probably fasted for you. There's probably been times you can remember in your life where you needed him, maybe in the wee hours of the morning, and you called, and he picked up, and he came to your need. Investment. He's transitioned the truth, and he's inserted it into your lives. If you're a Sunday school teacher, and you've taught one of these seniors, will you stand? you're a Sunday school teacher, at any point in time, if you've taught one of these young people, will you stand? In the school as well. If you're a school teacher, a Sunday school teacher, and you've taught these young people, would you stand? There's more than that. I see some of you. Thank you. Don't get me started on the investment of a Sunday school teacher. They don't get nearly as much, and it's the Lord, but they don't get nearly as much credit as they deserve because we kind of trivialize the idea of teaching little kids the word of God. Do you know how important that is? I could go all night long talking about the Sunday school teachers that I have gone along my way and have invested in me. My, oh man, I think of Miss Betty Weldon. None of you know, know who she is, but she's got a crown in heaven. I tell you right now, because of, of, since a young boy, I was four years old and she taught me in this class called Eager Beavers, simple things like how to, how to not tell a lie and how to obey your parents. And it stuck somewhat. Don't ever trivialize the investments of those who've invested in you, even those who invested in you at a young age. If you're a parent of one of these seniors, would you stand? If you're a parent of one of the graduates here, would you stand? There is not a greater, not a, not a pastor, not a youth pastor, not a Sunday school teacher, there is not a, there is not a greater investment spiritually than a godly parent who's invested in you. I, I grew up in a preacher's home, so my dad was my pastor, but can I tell you something? Uh, my dad, his heart broke over me 
And he prayed for me and he invested in my life. Raised me in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Didn't let me go on my own direction and when I did, he rebuked me. Like Brother Chip said, makes no sense why a parent, namely a father, would invest in their children when there's not a lot of gleaning results. There's not a lot of payback on this side of heaven. The investment of a parent, some of you, and I want to be careful because if you don't have Christian parents, hey, you've got those other people that I talked about. You've got those other people that have invested. But those of you who have your parents, you ought to thank God that they took the time to raise you in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. When my dad, I, 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 I don't even want to think about it, but when my dad passes on into eternity, we've already talked about it, we're going to put stay sweet and live for Jesus on his, on his uh, tombstone. Because he used to say that to me every single day as I would leave and I'd go do my own things. And even when I was going and doing the wrong thing, he'd say, son, stay sweet and live for Jesus. I want you to look around at the people who have invested in you. Look at your parents. Look at your youth pastor. Pastor's not here, but think of him. If you're a graduate and you have been directly, spiritually uh, you, you're spiritually benefited from the investments of those who are standing in this room. Will you stand right now? You've been directly impacted. Those who have the truth have transitioned the truth from them into your lives. And you know they didn't have to do that. But they were following after the path of God. And the, the path of God led them to take the truth that they had and transition it to you. And I wasn't trying to be manipulative by making you stand, but by standing, you're saying, I agree, I believe, I am a beneficiary of the truth that has been transcended from them and been given to me. So with that in mind, let me give you this admonishment. Continue. Continue. Continue in the word of God. Don't neglect the Bible. Don't neglect a, a time. Uh, hey, those of you who are going to Heartland and West Coast and Pensacola, not an easier place to backslide in regards to your Bible reading than in Bible college. It will quickly become a textbook where it will go weeks and weeks on end where you have not sought the face of the Lord, but you've read the New Testament backwards and forwards. Be careful. Develop a love and a yearning for the word of God and do not depart from it. Be faithful. Continue in the house of God. Those of you who are going and you're going to leave this place, it's going to be so easy for you to go and to not find a good church home. By the way, if you're going to a university and you haven't found a good church home, you might want to reconsider what university you're going to. I'm just saying. Find you a good, independent, fundamental, Bible-believing, uh, King James Version church and become a part of it. And do not forsake the assembly. Continue in the work of God. Be faithful stewards of the gospel that was given to you by some of the people in this room. Be faithful stewards of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And again, remember that everybody that is brought into your lives were intended, they were purposefully placed there so that you could share the gospel, so you could shine the light and continue in the way of God. Every opportunity that comes your way, every decision that you are faced with, get on, the, get on your knees and ask the Lord, what will thou have me to do? If ye are his disciples, you will continue. I'll read it once, once more. Then said Jesus unto those which had believed on him. He's talking to the Jews. But you identify, you said, I believe. If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. And ye shall know the truth, 
and the truth shall make you free. Graduates, continue. Lord, I pray that you would be with us tonight and I pray that you'd speak to hearts. And Lord, I pray that every single person in this room, whether man, woman, boy, and girl, uh, I know that I did not preach a salvation message necessarily, but if there's someone uh, that's here that does not know you as their personal Savior, I pray that you would uh, speak to their hearts and continue to convict their hearts tonight and uh, come forward. What a great night it would be if someone were to come forward and to accept you as their personal Savior. Lord, I pray especially for these graduates and those who are transitioning from adolescence to adulthood and they're going off on their own and now they're, they're able to make their own decisions. And so often the tendency is for us to get out of mom and dad's house to go do our own thing, but I don't think that that's the case with most of these. I don't know. You know their hearts and only time will tell, but my prayer is this, that every single senior that stood, every single graduate that stood and they testified that they believe in the truth that has been transitioned to them from those who are standing in this room, that they would continue in the word of God. They would continue to be faithful to the house of God and they'd be faithful stewards of the gospel and in everything that they do that they would seek your face and ask the question, what will you have them to do? Lord, I pray that you would just deal with us tonight in Jesus' name, amen. Would the rest of you stand? And here's what I want to do.